poverty. It's crime. Unemployment. Corruption. Accountability. Energy crisis. Inflation. We are worried. That South Africa has myriad problems on all fronts is a given. But the time has come for us to look for real solutions. I'm Jeremy Maggs, and this MoneyWeb podcast will discuss those solutions on how South Africans can solve problems by having tough conversations and drawing on the insights of South Africa's top business leaders. Welcome to Fix SA. As we sit down to record this podcast, there is an advisory note this morning from the Reserve Bank that the business community is, I imagine, digesting with some concern, raising issues about the threat that inadequate and unreliable power supply poses to financial stability. It's not surprising, of course, but it does cause one to pause when it's written down in black and white. The note goes on to say, however, the country's financial system remains resilient and financial institutions have maintained adequate capital buffers to absorb the impact of shocks, a resilience that's expected to be sustained over a new forecast period. There's that word resilience again, but I guess it's what we're famous for in South Africa. Let me switch tack very slightly. In a radio interview just a few days ago, businessman Christo Visa welcomed moves by government which will allow private players to play a role in solving South Africa's energy generation problem, saying government had finally seen the light, and he's optimistic the country is moving in the right direction. Welcome to the MoneyWeb podcast, Fix SA. I'm Jeremy Maggs. This is episode three. And just to remind you, our guests in coming weeks are going to be asked how we can make things better. How do we improve matters? How in the shortest space of time can we become a competitive and successful nation? Obviously, Christo Visa needs no introduction. He is the country's acknowledged retail king. And let me say at the outset of this conversation, this is a Steinhoff free zone. Although I guess we would be foolish not at some point in this conversation to reflect on issues of private sector corruption. But more on that a little bit later. So how would Christo Visa fix South Africa? Christo, a very warm welcome to you. This private sector generation thing that you've reflected on, don't you think we've left it too late? Jeremy, yeah, thank you for the opportunity to share some thoughts. Let me start off by saying the first thing we have to do in South Africa, all I have to try to do, is to get the mood in the country to improve. And I have no better advice on that score than what General Smuts said decades ago. He referred to South Africa as that peculiar country where things are never as good as they should be, but never as bad as they could be. I think we've got to start off there on this theme of resilience. We have shown over many centuries that we are a remarkably resilient people. My concern mainly as to where we are at the moment is that it seems to me that by doing a few very simple things, we can make things in South Africa so much better for millions of our fellow South Africans. And in that regard, of course, Uh, Private power generation is such an obvious way out of our current ESCOM dilemma. So that's why I made the comment 
that there are hopeful signs because the president himself intervened and scrapped these silly limits that some people tried to impose on private power generation. People are out there ready, willing to get going. You know, one often hears about concerns about a, an investment boycott by South African business people. And, and I've often explained to people that's nonsense. Mm. All that business people want to do is they want to invest. But they must have a clear blueprint on what the rules are, and then they're very happy to invest, as they will be in private power generation. I want to pick you up on how to improve the mood in just a moment, but let's stick with power generation for the time being, if we can. Part of the problem that we have in this country, Krista Visa, is that we're full of good ideas. We have an inability, though, to execute and execute quickly. So if the private sector is going to be involved in something like this, how do we make sure that it happens quicker? You know, I agree with you that we do have a lot of good ideas, and I I cannot disagree with you on the statement that we have difficulty implementing them. The problem is that there are many people with good ideas and ready and capable of implementing them, but boulders kept being rolled in the way. I mean, our bureaucracy, it's an old theme, but has become an absolute nightmare. And the main culprit, or one of the main culprits, is our anti-competition regime. It, it has just become ludicrous. I mean, I speak to many people abroad who are considering or were considering investing here, and they are put off by the undue massive delays to try to get a transaction done. And if that's going to start happening in the energy provision sector as well, then again, mm. it will be a huge boulder in the way of moving forward. Christo, the best way to get rid of a boulder surely is to blow it up with dynamite. How do we find the yeah. dynamite and how do we make sure that we light the fuse quickly? Jeremy, I'm the incurable optimist, as you know. And obviously, the dynamite is in the hands of the government. I was, in a way, bemused to see that our president, when he, on his recent visit to the UK, addressing British business people, said, he would want to know from them what should government do to make South Africa more attractive for foreign investors. We can tell him the South African business community repeatedly are making the point that we should get rid of this absolute nonsensical red tape over bureaucratization, trying to control everything, making little rules that are never applied because we simply don't have the administrative capacity in any event. So that, to my mind, is number one. You know, there are all these priorities. I mean, crime and unemployment, etc., etc. But the quick fix is for government to understand that they've got to get out of the way in order for the economy to grow. No lack of willingness. There's no lack of talent across the entire spectrum of the population. There's no lack of capital, I dare say. But, you know, we've got to get to a stage where people can 
get into the game and play the game. So how do you convince government to get out the way and what more does the business community need to do? You know, what can the business community do at the end of the day except talk and plead and beg and say, guys, please, let's get the ship moving. I don't know, you know, nobody's talking a revolution, but short of that, that is all that business people can do. And they can do a positive thing, and that is they can continue to show that they're willing to invest. We've just made a small investment together with one of our big banks in an energy trading platform uh, where, you know, there's a platform like a stock exchange where the supplier of electricity can offer his product and the consumer can do the deal through the exchange. And I was at a meeting with Cape Town's mayor recently where the people who are in that game explained that literally within a year with renewable energy, solar mainly, we can make sure almost 100% that we do not suffer any blackouts in Cape Town, literally in a short space of time. So there is action, and that is patently obvious to see. But the counterpoint to that, of course, is that the business community surely is getting tired. It's running out of patience. It's become so raveled in this red tape that uh, they're saying, well, perhaps there are other places where I would be better suited to invest. We're seeing evidence Uh, of that, aren't we? Undoubtedly, there are people that are in that frame of mind, Jeremy. But I often point out to people that I was fortunate enough to serve in the previous government on the State President's Economic Advisory Council. And there, year after year, business people said to government, look, you've got to let go of the route that you're on. Uh, Our economy simply cannot sustain those policy directives. And, you know, year after year, we said the same things over and over. Now, it would appear that ultimately the message did get home. But that is just unfortunately the way the world works. And there is no alternative but to just keep singing the same song. To say, guys, the solutions are staring us in the face. And and this energy Mm. thing is the one where the experts tell me it can be solved, as I said earlier on, by an innovative approach in a very short space of time. Aren't you getting tired, though, of singing the same song? In our previous podcast, the CEO of uh, Business Leadership South Africa, Busisiwi Mavuso, said that uh, we talk too much in this country. It's time to stop talking and actually do stuff. That sounds like an echo to me (laughs) from the 1980s. I remember I went to some of these discussion groups trying to devise a plan going forward. And the words still ringing in my ears. I think it was the late Van Sale that said, you know, our problem is we keep talking, but we don't really seem to be doing too much. So it's nothing new. South Africa has been like that, I think, always. But with one major difference, and I cannot stress that enough, we did not have a perfect civil service. Our state-owned enterprises were by no means perfect, but 
they were at least a thousand percent better if there is mm. such a number than what we have experienced in the last decade or two. So, Christo Visa, you've raised two issues. One is to try and scythe our way through the red tape. You've also referenced uh, a better and more efficient civil service. I want to come back to some of the problems and some of the fixes in just a moment. But I want to take you right back to the start of our conversation. The first thing you said to me is we need to improve the mood in South Africa. What is the mood right now? And how would you begin to improve it? Uh, I think the mood at the moment, you know, with all the headwinds that we are facing is really gloomy in most quarters. Uh, Thank God for the exceptions. How would we start improving it? I think the first obvious point that needs to be made is that there is nowhere on the globe today where things are rosy. Everywhere you read about really strong headwinds in the UK, in Europe, America, the economy is still doing well, but politically, you know, it's a very worrying scene. So nowhere in the world are things rosy at the moment. It's high inflation, it's high interest rates, extremely high energy prices, etc., etc. So we first got to understand that we are at a difficult period historically worldwide so we're not alone that's the first thing the second thing is we have to look at our history and see that we have through almost insurmountable obstacles managed to muddle through the problems that we face take some comfort and courage from our past that would be the second message the third one is the one that I raised right at the beginning, General Smuts' statement, that we've got to be grateful for what we have. I listened to a podcast the other day from a business personality, I think he's also a politician from another African country, who, speaking to South Africans, said, you know, you guys have got to understand how lucky you are with all your problems in comparison to some of the other African states. You still have a free press, etc., etc., strong judiciary, strong civil institutions, you must consider yourself very lucky. You've got a lot of things on which you can build. I'm pausing for a moment because I'm reflecting on that phrase that you've just used, kind of muddling through it. What I'm hearing is that, is that going to be the way in which we're always going to operate, that we just inevitably going to be swimming against the tide and that we just need to celebrate the small wins and we're never ever going to be a robust winning successful universally lauded economy do we just have to settle for the middle ground no i don't think we need to i think that if we get enough strong leadership from all sectors of our population There's no reason on earth why South Africa could not be the country that it should be. No reason at all. You know, I've just come back from Dubai last week. And if you see what's happening there, and I used to be a Dubai skeptic. I said, this thing can never work. You know, building a glittering city in in a desert. 
And look what those people have achieved because there was vision and strong leadership. They've done things that are unthinkable. They told me now when I was there that they currently have plans to quadruple the current population of Dubai in the next decade or decade and a half. And they are planning for that. They are putting in the infrastructure. They are planning for that. Now, so why can't we do it? So let me pick you up on that phrase, strong leadership. Christo, if I had a rand for every time I've done an interview with someone and they've said to me, we need strong leadership, I would be a very wealthy man. Maybe not as wealthy as you, but I would be a very wealthy man. What do we mean by strong leadership? I've given this a lot of thought because, as you know, many people are very supportive of our president, who is a good man. And those of us, um, among whom I count myself, uh, you have turned into apologists for him to say, look, he's got the right ideas, but he's constrained by the system. Because what is terrible in our system is that a president can be recalled at the whim of party leaders. I mean, that's just an untenable situation, I believe. So we've got to start by looking at how do we change our electoral system, maybe, you know, to a large extent, our system of government, but the electoral system is where we've got to start to make it possible that, you know, there can be stability. Can you imagine the position that a president of the ANC finds himself in? He's got to deal with all the factions which exist in every political party, but he has to be very, very careful, even if he knows and he's desirous of doing the right thing, because he may find the ground cut from underneath his feet. So those are the areas. There's no lack of good leadership in any section of our population. I see good people everywhere that can play a wonderful role. But if you operate within a system where it is very difficult to exercise good leadership, then I don't know, you have to be some kind of miracle worker. We also need better leadership in the private sector, don't we? Often those in the private sector stand on the sidelines and criticize or are involved in aspects of corruption themselves. Absolutely. The private sector, they know angels. There are rotten apples, as we all know, in that basket as well. But the majority, Jeremy, that we have to concede, the majority of South African business people have their hearts in the right place. They love this country. And, you know, I just thought about it this morning prior to our interview, that what does one mean when you say you love a country? Surely it means that you love the people of the country. And if we can just get to that, that we all say we, whether we're white or black, we love the people of South Africa. Because the vast majority of the people in South Africa are good people, good, decent people. You've raised four fixes. You've spoken about being more optimistic, the national mood of the country. You've raised the issue of leadership. You've raised the issue of red tape. We've spoken very briefly about lack of capacity in the civil service in South Africa. 
What's the country's biggest problem right now? Obviously, we've spoken about energy generation as well. What's the one problem that's keeping you awake at night as a business leader? That's difficult. There's such a list that springs Mm. to mind. But I would say the biggest problem is that we somehow often articulate grand visions, but then seem to forget about them. I remember the late F.W. de Klerk at one occasion, a few years after 94, was asked by a visiting politician from Canada whether he was happy with the outcome, the way things had gone in the first few years of our democracy. And his reply was he would do exactly then what he did in 1990, because he's very happy with the policy directions of the ANC, but he is disappointed by the implementation. And again, that is where we fall flat, but you've then got to go and see what are the root causes. And as I said before, I think somehow in our electoral system, et cetera, et cetera, there are things that need to be put right. You've built a hugely successful life on successful implementation. How do we get better at implementation? From your own experience, the mechanics, the logistics of good, efficient implementation, as someone who has managed people, who has led companies, where would you start? Sometimes I think the the answer to that kind of question is very obvious. You know, there's got to be a clear plan. There's got to be total commitment. There's got to be a clear understanding that that road is never a smooth one. And at the end of the day, it's all about how people interact with each other, how leaders lead people, inspire people. All these, you refer to my inverted commas achievements, it was all about people, making people understand that they are capable of doing bigger things than they ever dreamt of. If you look at all the great entrepreneurs that this country had produced, the secret to their success was inspiring people, having a clear vision, a clear plan, total commitment, and inspiring people. I'm in the business of asking uh, big, broad questions, but I want to ask you then, how do you go about that? How do you inspire people? What's your methodology? I was fortunate enough to grow up in a community in the edge of the Kalahari where you simply had to rely on people. Uh, It was a tough world back then. It was far away from the big centers and the lack of lots of infrastructure that people in the cities took for granted. And you had to rely on people. And therefore, at a very young age, learned that everything you want to achieve, you have to achieve through people. Uh, And that's where it starts, you know, mutual respect, encouragement, as I said, inspiration, whatever you want to call it. I have no other answer than that, uh, Jeremy. Part of inspiring people, I would imagine, Krista Visa, is also trusting one another. And it seems to me that uh, the trust quotient in this country has somehow got lost. Uh, We don't trust each other anymore. How do we rebuild trust? That is a, a huge challenge. But, you know, there again, my own view is, and I've learned a bitter, bitter lesson through Steinhoff, that it is very risky to trust, but it is 
more risky not to trust because the businesses that we built, my colleagues and I, were built on total trust. So if you look at an example like Steinhoff, what happened there? That there were people who were very comfortable, went out of their way to betray trust. And uh, trust is a two-way street, obviously, but we will rebuild trust by doing things, by showing each other that we can accomplish what we want to achieve. I said, uh, Krista, at the beginning of this conversation, it was a Steinhoff-free zone, but you do raise one interesting point. Is there a lesson from the Steinhoff scandal that South Africans broadly can learn in terms of rebuilding, retooling, and fixing the country? I think from every disaster like that, uh, Jeremy, there must be lessons to be learned. Here, however, is the difficulty. When you are dealing with something like fraud in a large organization or even sometimes a small organization, if the fraudsters are at the top of the heap, uh, you know, there, there is no magic formula. There is no silver bullet. I mean, we see these corporate scandals happening one after the other. Only last week again, this fellow with the cryptocurrency. Mm. It happens all the time. It's just mind-boggling that, like pyramid schemes, we never seem to learn the lessons. In many instances, I mean, a pyramid scheme, yeah, one should be able to learn a lesson and take guidance from disappointments in that regard. But in terms of people committing fraud, uh, you know, they've got the more rules they make, it seems the easier it becomes for these fraudsters to get away with it. And I, I don't, I mean, I've, I've told people many times, they've asked me, what can one do to prevent these corporate blow-ups? The long and the short answer is very little at the end of the day, very little. Yet you said to me at the beginning of our conversation, you still remain optimistic. Where do you derive your optimism about business and about the future of this country? Jeremy, I've often said to people that nobody has ever been able to explain to me what the benefit or advantage is of being negative. You know, what do you gain by that? So my entire being is aimed at being positive because you cure nothing but absolutely nothing by being negative. So that's where I come from. Secondly, I'm very convinced that in South Africa, we live particularly in the Western Cape, in paradise. We have a wonderful country. I, I referred to Dubai earlier on. They've got all the money in the world. They're building as I say, glittering cities. Mm. It is fantastic. But compare us in South Africa to Dubai in terms of what we have as far as natural resources are concerned. We are a particularly blessed country. Final question to you as, as we wrap up this conversation. And God willing that uh, you and I are still alive at this point. But in the next uh, 15 or 20 years, when you're talking either to your grandchildren or your great-grandchildren, what are you going to tell them about the early 2020s, 
the time that you and I are talking right now, but more importantly, what their role is as the so-called baton-holding generation. I will obviously refer to this period in our history as one of many turbulent periods in the history of this country. One of many. And I'll point out to them how time and again some people gave up, they emigrated or they just withdrew, but other people just kept soldiering on. And by doing that, made a good life for themselves and their people and, you know, made a contribution to the country. That's what I will tell them. Better leadership, less red tape and improving the national mood. Fixing South Africa, as Christo Visa says, requires hard work, commitment and a lot more cooperation. Christo, thank you for joining Fix SA. My name's Jeremy Max, and thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to this Fix SA podcast. For more episodes posted every second Friday, go to moneyweb.co.za, the MoneyWeb app, Apple Podcasts and Spotify, or follow MoneyWeb News on social media for more updates. MoneyWeb, your trusted source for business and investment insights.